All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, before I get into the message, I got uh, first I've got an announcement. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, or even if you are aware, um, on Tuesday evenings at 6.30, we gather here in the Fellowship Hall, uh, and we are doing a nine-week uh, study called Discipleship 101, Exploring the Bible. And we're actually taking a look at how to study the Bible. We're using the book of Mark kind of as a jumping off point to learn how uh, to study the Bible. And we've gone through uh, several lessons already. But even if you've missed those lessons, it's not too late if you want to come out and join us on Tuesday evenings. Uh, this week, we are going to be uh, exploring how to use uh, different tools, commentaries and concordances and dictionaries and maps and things like that to help us to enhance our Bible study, to help us to understand more about uh, what was going on in the history of the time when the Bible was written, uh, what was going on in the time of Jesus, what was going on um, just kind of throughout the history that God has given us. So if you are interested, come on by. Uh, we welcome you to, uh, to join us on Tuesdays at 6.30. And this morning, I want to take a moment to show my appreciation for all of the people uh, in our church who lend their talents to us each week uh, in leading us in music and leading us in song. Our praise team is led by uh, Cindy Reigert. Um, she will not say that she is the, the praise team leader, uh, but I think she would be considered the praise team leader. Um, and uh, the, the praise team has gone through a lot of transition over the last couple of years. Um, two, three years ago, um, Things, a lot of things happened in the church. We lost some musicians, uh, some people left. Um, but uh, Cindy and her team, uh, which right now I think consists of Tanya and Renee, uh, Angie, um, every once in a while, Angie's uh, little girl coming up here with the Mar I loved that. That was great this morning. Um, and they've adapted, and they're using... Um, tools that are available to them. Music that was recorded by our one-time pianist, Ryan. Um, he was here for a while, and he recorded a bunch of tracks for them. Uh, and, of course, we also uh, purchased music to use, uh, backing tracks to use in the songs. But I know that regardless of, of how the music is being played, the voices are always raising their, their, their voices to God and helping us to enter into the presence of God through song. And uh, just want them to know how much I appreciate them on Sunday mornings um, and, and doing what is just, I think, probably some of us would say is a hard thing to do, to get up in front of people every week and, and to sing. Yes, uh, <laughs> a couple of you, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, and I also want to share my appreciation for uh, Marion and Carolyn, who lead our hymns. Um, this is, uh, our church is, it's not unique, but it's, uh, it's rare. It's rare now to see churches that have both modern worship music and hymns as part of their worship. And I really appreciate the way that Marion and Carolyn just for, I don't know how many years now have, have led. Marion, how many, how many years have you guys been doing this now? You don't have to answer that. It's okay. A um, hundred years. Um, wow. But I, I tell you, I'm, I for one am still excited that we get to, to, to sing those hymns because they bring us into a different place, a different um, uh, mindset of worship 
of God. And, uh, and again, I appreciate their continued dedication to leading our worship. So thank you, music people. Um, I do appreciate everything that you do for us. And if you are interested, if you play a, music, uh, a musical instrument, if you feel that you could stand up and sing in front of people, um, Cindy is, is looking for people that will uh, join the praise team. Um, I think we've had a couple of people express a little bit of interest, but uh, they're just a little, uh, a little trepidatious, let's say. They're, they're a little nervous about doing it for the first time. But if you're interested, talk to Cindy, and uh, she will get you uh, signed up. So, Bob kind of, you know, gave a little spoiler this morning. How many of you ever remember, how many of you remember TV commercials? Anybody still watch live TV or is it all like streaming now? How many of you just stream all of your stuff now? Yeah, we, we mostly, except Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, those are the only things we watch live. Um, but then we, then we record it most of the time because we're not home between 7 and 8 and then we just fast forward through the commercials. Um, but we don't necessarily sit through commercials much anymore. We've got a lot of technology that helps us to skip those things. But way back when, when I was younger, uh, used to have to sit through the commercials. Used to have to um, wait and listen to these ads for all of these products. Um, or you got up and made a snack or went to the bathroom or something. But many years ago, even before television, even before radio, um, there was advertising. It was all in print. It was in magazines and, and newspapers and things like that. And this company, uh, you might be familiar with them, Procter & Gamble. Um, Procter & Gamble created this new product. Um, and they began advertising it with what is thought to be one of the first ad slogans. Right? And the ad slogan was 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure. Anybody know what product that is? Who knows what product that is? Call it out. Ivory soap. Ivory soap. Absolutely correct. It's ivory soap. And um, <laughs> I figured most of you would know that. Um, but ivory soap was created way back in the 1800s. And the name ivory soap um, actually was created by the son of one of the founders of Procter & Gamble. Uh, his name was Harley Procter. And he named Ivory Soap because he was inspired by this quote. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory places whereby they have made thee glad. And that quote is from Psalm 45 eight. And he liked that quote. He liked the idea for this, uh, for this soap bar called Ivory. And the slogan, 99 and 44, 100% pure, that was created because Procter & Gamble had their soap tested. And when they had it tested, the testers uh, in this independent laboratory, they determined that only 56 one-hundredths of the bar of soap contained something that could not be considered soap or an ingredient of soap. And so they created this 99 and 44, 100% pure. And I, and I remember as a kid, they were still using that slogan. 
And of course, they added a little bit later, they added, it floats. Anybody remember it floats? And I remember as a kid, I would be like, you know, we'd have like different bars of soap and I'd see which ones would float and which ones would sink. And because I'm weird. Um, <laughs> but Ivory Soap created this, uh, these, these ads, this, this newspaper, and they, they, they basically wanted people to know about the purity of their soap. You're not getting a whole lot of anything else. And this morning we're continuing our sermon series called Blessed, the Beatitudes. And if you haven't been here, you haven't been following along with YouTube videos or anything, the Beatitudes are blessings that Jesus bestows on people who would be his disciples. He's basically telling the disciples when God's kingdom comes, God is going to bless those who have these attributes. These attributes like poor in spirit, being mournful of your sin, being meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And we talked about righteousness also meaning justice, hungering and thirsting after these things. And he tells us that when his disciples are all these things, that they're going to be blessed. They'll inherit the kingdom of God. They'll inherit the earth. They'll be comforted by God. And today we're going to look at the next beatitude. We're up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I want you to think about for a minute, what do you think of when you think about something being pure? And we have some ideas. We just sang a song this morning, right? Talking about something being as pure as gold. But what do you think of when you think of purity? And if you're like me, one of the things that I think about when I think of purity is a newborn baby. How many of you think a baby is kind of a representative of purity? Yeah. I mean, not right after they're born because they're all icky and goopy and everything. But after they get cleaned up, um, then, then they, they, they look a little bit pure. <laughs> And we think of this, we think of this newborn right out of the womb and, and, and all wrapped up warm and some of them wear the hat and, you know, um, you know they, put the, they put the baby in your arms and you just look down. And of course, if it was, you know, Tommy, he felt like a brick on your arm because he was so heavy when he was born. But we think of that purity. We think of just like a blank slate, like just this baby is as, as pure as snow. But we kind of know that that's not actually the case, is it? Now, the baby might be 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure, but every baby has entered the world polluted. They've entered the world polluted by humanity's sin nature. Now, a lot of people don't like that idea. And even some of you sitting here, well, how can you say that? How, how can you say that a baby is not pure? The baby hasn't even had a chance to do anything wrong yet. The baby hasn't. How, how can you say the baby's not pure? And it's true. They haven't had the chance to do anything yet to, to destroy that purity but we know they will. 
We know that every baby ever born has committed sin in some way or another. And just like a baby has physical DNA that it got from its parents to determine you know, their hair color and their eye color, how tall they're going to be, how big they're going to be, whether they have male pattern baldness, I don't know. But whatever it is, we get that DNA. And it's, it's strung together. And, and we, we see these pictures of DNA, right? And, and this is all of the aspects of our human body and what God has put together. But just like we have physical DNA, we also have spiritual DNA. And that DNA comes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they decided to disobey God's command, it broke the spiritual DNA for all humanity, every generation forward. And sin grafted itself onto that DNA. So regardless of whether the baby hasn't had the chance to do anything wrong yet, we know that that baby will have the chance to do something wrong. And we know that in most cases, it will. And if you don't believe me, look at a four-year-old who has stolen the cookie from the cookie jar or has broken the plate. And I love the Family Circus cartoons because in Family Circus cartoons, the person responsible for everything that goes wrong that the child does wrong is not me. And they actually have this little ghost with not me written across it. Not me broke the cookie jar. Not me did this. Not me did that. So not only do they do something that their parents don't want them to do, then they lie about it. And let's face it, are there any honest lies? Are there any lies that, that are not me-focused, that are not sin-focused? And we got to think about what does this spiritual DNA look like and how can it be repaired? And thankfully, God is a spiritual geneticist. God saw that our sin looked like this or that our DNA looked like this with sin grafted on it. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to die for us, to rebuild our DNA so that it comes back to looking like this. And when we accept God's gift of grace and mercy and we believe that Jesus died and rose again for our sins, our spiritual DNA is repaired. Our spiritual DNA comes back to its 100% pure state. See, when we decide to follow Jesus, God forgives us of our sins. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses our DNA. And we use that word unrighteousness, and it sounds like a really big churchy word, right? And, and I hate churchy words. But it's in the Bible. Unrighteousness, basically it means unrightness. It means I'm not right. And when I confess my sins, God makes me right. God makes me whole. God makes me pure. 
God puts our wrongness right, when God repairs our spiritual DNA, that's not the end of it. Because we're responsible. And Jesus tells us that we are responsible for continuing in rightness. Jesus tells us that we are given the lifelong task of living pure lives free of sin. How many of you always live pure lives free of sin? Just me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we fail. We fail a lot to live lives completely free of sin. But we are given that lifelong task of overcoming temptation. And I know you're going to say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I confess my sins to God, so why do I keep on sinning? Why do I just keep doing things that I know are against God, but I do them anyway? How come God didn't just you know, snap his fingers and I can never do anything wrong ever again? Or worse, well, Pastor Joe, I, I keep sinning this, this one sin and I don't feel like I can stop, does it mean I'm not really forgiven? Does it mean I'm not really a part of the family of God? And for an answer to, to these questions, we can look to the book of Hebrews. See, the author of Hebrews has a lot to say about temptation and sin and evil. And he also has a lot to say about overcoming temptation and sin and evil. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author writes about why Jesus came to earth as a human being. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And propitiation is just another one of those big religious-y, churchy-sounding words that means that he is made the substitute. He is the one that takes our punishment for us. That's the propitiation of sin. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's why Jesus had to come to earth, and he had to come as a human being. He had to be made like one of us, and he had to experience everything like one of us, including temptation. And later on in Hebrews chapter 4, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Are you tempted to lie? Jesus was tempted to lie. Are you tempted to steal? Jesus was tempted to steal. Are you tempted to commit some sort of sexual, sexually immoral act? Jesus was tempted by sex. Jesus was tempted by anger. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Except he overcame the temptation. He did not sin. And because Jesus did not sin, we can then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace where Jesus sits with His Father. 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Time of need is temptation. Time of need is when we are sitting in our rooms thinking about how we're going to lie to our parents about where we were the night before. Temptation is about us sitting in the dining room with a computer screen in our face thinking about going to that website. Temptation is about seeing that $100 bill sitting on somebody's desk and thinking about walking by and just slipping it into our pockets. That's what temptation is. That is what our time of need is. And Jesus learned to sympathize with our weakness. He learned to sympathize with our temptation because He lived our weaknesses. Because He became human. And Hebrews also tells us how Jesus overcame temptation. A lot of us think, well, Jesus was God. Obviously, He could not actually sin. But if that's the case, then did Jesus re can Jesus really sympathize with our temptation? If it wasn't hard for Him, why would it matter? But we read in Hebrews chapter 5, in the days of His flesh, that was the days that Jesus was living, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. And I've spoken a couple of times about the way that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Right? And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he used God's word as a, as a, a weapon against that temptation. But here, we're reading about Jesus' temptation and the tears that he cried and the prayers that he prayed. And this temptation happened on the night before he died. Jesus had to overcome the temptation to refuse to do what God had sent him to do. We read in Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 44, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we read this as like a complete statement, like maybe Jesus said this all at one time. And I'm wondering if he did. I'm wondering if Jesus in tears, in desperation, in prayer, was saying, God, I don't want you to do what you sent me to do. And if he was saying that, Jesus was being tempted to disobey the Father. And we see eventually, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But Jesus still 
felt that temptation. He still felt weak. And that is why there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Jesus needed supernatural strength to do the will of God. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This does not sound to me like a Jesus that's just sitting there saying, yeah, I really don't want to do it, but I will. He is in agony. Back in Hebrews chapter 5, he offered up prayers and supplications. Supplications is another one of those big churchy words. Supplication means begging somebody for something. Earnestly begging them. Jesus wanted more than anything else to be released from this mission. Jesus wanted more than anything else not to do the one thing that God sent him to do, which was to die on the cross for us. He didn't want to be arrested. He didn't want to be falsely accused. He didn't want to be spit on. He didn't want to be hit in the face. He didn't want to be made to carry a 200-pound cross up a hill and then be nailed to it until he died. He didn't want to do those things. And he prayed earnestly. And he was so stressed while praying that his sweat became like great drops of blood. But you know what I wonder? I wonder if Jesus was in agony because he didn't want to die. Or was he in agony because he was struggling so much against this temptation to disobey the Father? God, I want to do what you tell me to do. I want, but it's so hard. I want to do your will, but I don't want to feel this pain. I want to do your will, but I don't want to die. And I think Jesus' temptation was not about the death. He was in agony because he didn't want to disobey God. And that's what being pure in heart is. When we are pure in heart, it means that we are so desperate to do what God wants us to do. That when temptation comes, the only thing that we can think to do is to go to God with prayer and earnestness and humility and tears and beg Him to help us to escape this temptation that is taking hold of us. That's 
what being pure in heart is. That is what we turn to when we truly want to do the will of God, when we're tempted to steal that money, when we're tempted to lie to our parents or lie to our spouse, when we're tempted to turn that computer on. Pure in heart means we're desperate to not follow through. And just like Jesus, we need supernatural strength to keep from sinning. And there's good news because God gives us that supernatural strength. In 1 Corinthians 13.10, it says, no temptation has overtaken us that is not common to man. That means if you're tempted to do something, somebody else has been tempted to do it too. You are not alone in your temptation. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, some people stop reading at the top of this, uh, or right in the middle of this passage here. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted. And they stop right there. Wait a minute. God lets me be tempted? And they get angry. God shouldn't allow me to be tempted. God should block all of that stuff now that I'm a Christian. It's like He's setting me up to fail. How many parents do we have in the room? You ever let go of your baby and let him try to walk? How many of you ever let go of your baby and let them try to walk across the room? Anybody? Let go of their baby and let them try to walk across the room and what happens? They fall down. (laughs) What horrible parents you are. How could you possibly do something that would hurt your baby? It's just a little innocent baby. He's never done anything wrong and you want him to fall. You don't want him to fall. But it is that you don't want him to fail. You want to give the baby the opportunity to learn how to be a more advanced human being. You don't have to crawl across the floor anymore. You can stand up and you can walk across the room. And when you walk, usually you can get there faster. And once you've learned how to walk for a while, you can do things like, oh, I don't know, ride a bike. How many of you have ever run behind your child or run beside your child holding the bike and then all of a sudden you just let go? What is wrong with you people? Don't you know that child could fall? They could skin their knee. We do these things because we're trying to help the child to succeed. We're trying to help the child to grow. Trying to help the child to learn how to do these things. 
that, let's face it, make their lives so much better. A parent of a three-day-old isn't going to have their child try to walk across the room, right? Why not? Because she's not ready yet. She is not to that place yet. Her body is not developed to the point where she can hold herself up and balance. We have to wait until she has that ability. And God does not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to endure whatever that temptation is. He's not going to tempt us with something that He absolutely knows for sure is beyond our ability to not do it. He's not. Because He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be pure in heart. And I don't know about you, but to me that is a comforting thought. If I am facing a temptation, it's because God knows I can handle it. Not without help. Not without supernatural strength, but I can handle it. And God knows that or He wouldn't let me be tempted in that way. So many times we get overwhelmed by our temptation. And sometimes we get tempted over and over and over again. And sometimes we fall over and over and over again. But it's not because we can't handle the temptation. It's because we don't turn to God and ask Him for supernatural strength to walk away. How many of you have ever prayed, God, I just can't handle this? I've committed this sin 1,437 times. Every time I ask forgiveness and every time it might be a month or it might be a week or it might be an hour and then I'm doing it again. We've got to stop praying that way. And we need to start praying in earnestness in desperation, in tears, crying out to God, God, give me the strength, give me the power, give me the Holy Spirit to help me get out of this temptation. God gives us the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And He is so much better than an angel. Jesus only got an angel. We get the Holy Spirit strengthening us. You know why? We probably need more strength. But the Holy Spirit is there and all we have to do is to pray and to humble ourselves and to earnestly beg with loud cries and tears for strength to overcome te temptation and the Holy Spirit will show us the way out. A 
Are you sitting there turning on that computer getting ready to go to that website? Pray to the Holy Spirit. He'll show you the power button. He'll even show you how to use it. Are you sitting there trying to figure out how to lie to your parents when you've been someplace you're not supposed to be or doing something that you're not supposed to be doing? Pray to the Holy Spirit. And He will remind you that yes, you've done something wrong, but also yes, your parents love you. And yes, your punishment might be harsh, but maybe you deserve that punishment from your parents. Not because they want to be mean, but because they want to show you how to do right, how to be pure in heart. The pure heart earnestly desires to obey God the Father 100% of the time. 99 and 44 one hundredths percent is not pure enough. We need to seek God's help. We need to desire to obey what He tells us. We need to 100% desire to live the life that God wants to see in us. Would you pray with me? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for oh, cooler weather. We thank You for sunshine this morning. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son. Jesus, we thank You for becoming one of us. Living a life like one of us. Living a life that was full of temptation. And we thank You for showing us how we're supposed to deal with those temptations. We thank You that You prayed and earnestly begged and cried with loud cries to the Father. Because it shows us how we can fight temptation. We thank You that the angel came and ministered to You. We thank You that You give us Your Holy Spirit to minister to us, to strengthen us to show us the door away from temptation. Father, we are forgetful people. Help us to remember that you will not allow us to be tempted more than we're able to, to bear and that you give us the Holy Spirit to show us the way out. And Father, also remind us that when we do fail, that the answer isn't to turn our backs, the answer isn't to ignore you, the answer is to come before your throne 
that throne of grace and mercy so that we might ask your forgiveness. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again so that one day we might see you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you leave here this week, I want to encourage you spend time in prayer. Spend time discovering the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And turn to the Holy Spirit whenever you are tempted to sin. Trust God and go with Him. God bless you.